Hello, and thank you for joining us for another session of Dedication. Fans remember the Bay City Rollers, the only Bay City Rollers themed podcast in the world. Isn't that something? Hosted by Bay City Rollers Fan Events. I'm Suze. And I'm Laura. Now, today, our guest is Stephen Machant. Um, Interesting guy. Um, Stephen is one of the world's most successful entertainment moguls. Yes, mogul is the word. He's been involved with producing and or uh, marketing music and artists all over the world and is legally trained as an attorney. Some of the artists he has worked with are ELO, Genesis, Peter Gabriel, Phil Collins, Leonard Cohen, Phil Spector, Snoop Dogg, and Bobby Brown. Boy, we dropped some names there, didn't we? Wow. (laughs) Um, Movies he's credited with include Anaconda, Street Fighter, and Judge Dredd. Um, People he has known in social circles include Stan Lee, the Dalai Lama. Wow, that's some name dropping right there, too. Um, Also taught and lectured at universities such as Oxford and Cambridge and at music festivals and book fairs in over a hundred countries. Wow. Also very interesting, he sought election in the U.S. Senate in 2016 and in the U.S. House of Representatives in 2018. Laura, he even considered a late entry into the 2020 presidential race. Okay. Oh, that oh, what could have been? Oh, what could have been? Wow. <laughs> so I'm so, and you know, for our purposes, he also um, did some work with the Bay City Rollers um, in around 1975, 1976. So I'm sure he has some really interesting stories. Very interesting guy. I'm really looking forward to talking to him. So shall we get to it, Laura? I can't wait. Let's go. Okay. Hello, Stephen. How are you? I am absolutely fantastic. I'm getting ready for a big basketball game. Are you going, is your team going to win tonight? I'm going to well, go to the game on Wednesday. I think we play tonight, don't we, um, Sixers? Yeah, you're playing us. Yeah, we're we do. We do. Oh, honey, you're, you're going to lose. Oh, I don't know. We're not going to get into that. We're not going to get into that because because they're so inconsistent. I can't even I can't even watch myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean I they can't. they used to be the uh, Syracuse Nationals. Well, we're, we're definitely already going on a tangent. So let's introduce you to our listeners. <laughs> well, <laughs> we have with us today, as you heard from his bio, um, Steven, is it Mashat? Am I saying that right? Yeah, Mashat? Yes. Okay. Um, and as our listeners just heard, you were and are a very prominent figure in the music industry. And we are very, very happy to be talking with you today. So thank you. Nope. Yes, thank you. Oh. And, and by the way, Anaconda was on TV last night. Um, I did not stay to watch it, but my husband did, just so you know. <laughs> it, it's still out there squeezing people, I guess. I mean, I, I worked in that movie. I did the music, and I was the, um, the go-to guy to get everybody out of trouble. So I'm sitting there with my family, and the Japanese embassy got invaded. And all of a sudden, everyone's vacating Peru. And I'm I'm sitting there. I'm like, screw you. I'm staying here. Government told me to get out, this and that. I'm like, I'm not too worried. So I got a tour of Peru. And, you know, (laughs) I ended up putting out a couple of records from it, including finishing the album, the movie. But it's fantastic. 
And <laughs> I'm very honored to be speaking to Bay City Roller fans. Oh, well, that's amazing. And as our listeners already know, we are going to be Tangent City today. Yes. <laughs> <All> <laughs> and we're here for it. Um, so, yeah, we do want to take you back, way back. We need the sound effects, the way back machine, back to like the late 70s. And, and tell us about the Bay City Rollers and how and when you became involved with them. Okay, let me take you back even further. Oh, okay. All right, here we go. Boom. Okay. Time zone. We just crash. We crashed into the universe. We're back on Earth, and we're sitting above Earth, and we're looking. It's 1971, and there's a record label called Bell, right? And Bell Records mm -hmm. started in the United States, and they used to put out basically not cartoon, but they would put out gimmick records. And they had a band called Tom and Jerry. And Tom and Jerry today, you and I know, is Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. My father was the lawyer for Tom and Jerry. But when they became Simon and Garfunkel, they had another one. Dad was a lawyer, and Dad got in the middle of many, many deals, many businesses. But he had this ability where he loved England, and most people, not most, whatever, but people who had his ability in the 60s, all segue to L.A. Dad figured out, screw this, I'm going to London. So Dad, you know, ended up with the Rolling Stones. The first contract I've ever read was 1965, and it was the Rolling Stones contract. And Dad was upset with me because I was reading, I know numbers, and I could sit and come, I could compute like a computer can compute, or whatever I do, I do. But he was upset that I, I'm reading baseball cards. He said, you've got a mind. I'm going to teach you how to read record contracts. I'm going to teach you how to understand the counting. So I sat with him and a guy named Alan Klein. And Alan Klein was the accountant, and he was a very famous accountant, and yada, yada, yada. And they would sit and teach me how to read it like I was sitting in a racetrack. So I became very proficient at recording contracts. At the same time, I met this bubbly of affable guy. His name was Sid Bernstein. And oh, I yeah, like Mr. Bernstein. Sid, I like Sid Bernstein. And Sid Bernstein was friends with my dad. And, you know, he would, when dad was near an act, Sid Bernstein smelt money. And it was a two-way <laughs> street. So, you know, dad had the Rolling Stones. Dad worked with the Beatles at the end. And dad had a band called the Kinks. And Ray Davies was one of my favorite people. All I, I'm in eighth grade, and all I wanted to know was, what is Waterloo Sunset about? What mm -hmm. is the well-respected man about? And I would sit and talk to all these artists nonstop, and I have a gift. My gift is, if I feel your energy, you and I are going to talk to each other. Because you have something for me, and I probably have something for you. So uh, there's a guy named Sid Bernstein, and I liked him a lot. So now... Let's go back to Bell Records. What is Bell Records? Bell Records started in New York in 1952. And by 1969, a company called Columbia Pictures wanted Bell Records. So they bought Bell Records, right? I believe that's when it happened. And what they did is Bell Records had a few artists. And then they make a deal in England. And here's why it's relevant. They make a deal in England and they bring in a guy who I liked. His name was Dick Leahy. Lady. Oh yeah. You you spell you pronounce it the way you want. The way you're controlled, people listening to me, it's how you pronounce your vowels. That's how they change the language. So anyway, Dick Leahy <laughs> was the AR person, 
and they had a deal with EMI and he was working there and he was looking for bands to sign. And one of the bands he signed was a band called the Rollers. Well, who are the Rollers? Well, anyway, that's the band we're here talking about. And what they did is a guy named Jonathan King, I believe it was, if my memory serves me right, who is big on the English scene, produced the record. And in 1965, when I was a boy and I had met my wife, and her name is Debbie, my wife that I'm going to get married on May 15th. And Debbie and I were not husband-wife then. I had known Debbie, and I'm sure she danced to this song too. But we didn't meet each other again until 2020 when COVID came. Oh, wow. We didn't, it took us 56 years to kiss. Can you imagine? Oh, what That's longing. Awesome. I love that much longing. You're talking my language. And I could almost visualize Debbie sitting in whatever we were doing in seventh grade when a band called the Gentries came on and they sang a song called Keep On Dancing. Oh, yes, they did. Yeah. And it was a hit in the U.S. And somehow or another, the men like Dick Leahy and Jonathan King, they put, put together the song called Keep On Dancing, which was the Rollers' first hit. Mm -hmm. Right? So now where uh -huh. am I going with this? So we're waiting. We're we're here for it. <laughs> anyway, so now you got their first hit. And so now we move them forward. So what does Dick Leahy do? He runs it from 71 to 74. And you know, when the Bay City Rollers started, they were once called, I believe it was the Ambassadors. Then they became a name called the Saxons. Yep. Yeah. And then one of their lead singers. Nobby. Yeah. I mean, Nobby he, Clark. He left the band. Sort of, and he had a hit record, and you know, as yeah, the, I'll, I'm trying to remember the name of his record, but he had a hit record which allowed the English to like, wow, maybe we should listen to the Rollers. At the same time, up there in Scotland, they met a guy named Tam Patton, right, who was a former big band leader, he was a local manager, and they, the band itself, talked him into basically booking them. And he helped get them their record deal, I believe, with Bell Records in 71. And Keep On Dancing made the BBC Top of the Pops. Then what happened yeah. is they had a couple of flops in England. They had no records out in the United States. And I think it was Clark. Yeah, Nobby Clark. Okay, he had that song that I was telling you about. And he leaves the band. But, you know, the band's still there. And they bring in our friend that we were talking about earlier, Les McEwen. Leslie yeah. McEwen. Right? So now you got him in there, and they record a song called Saturday Night. It flops. It flops. Okay, it wow. flops. So what happens? Now, let's go back to America, because we've got two scenes here. Clive Davis gets fired from Columbia Records, and a man named Adam, um, I guess his name was Hirschfeld, who ran Columbia Pictures, brings him in to basically become a consultant for Bell Records, as well as the other record labels associated with Columbia Pictures. Clive Davis, within three months, takes over Columbia Pictures' record label, and one of the record labels signed to him was called Bell Records. So in a couple of months, he changes Bell Records to Arista, now, I've known Clive Davis since I was a boy, and he and my dad started negotiating Columbia record contracts. 
be it Sly Stone or be it the Dave Clark Five and a few others. And Clive decides he's going to change it. He went to a school called Erasmus, which, by the way, my mother went to, as well as Barbara Streisand, in Brooklyn. And the honor society at these schools was called Arister. So he changed his name, the record label, to honor his scholastical achievements in high school. Not his, his legal achievements, but his scholastical achievements, basically where they taught him and I, I don't know if you interview him whether he'll tell you what I'm telling you. They taught him humanities. And what he went looking for is idolist, which I've spent my whole life working with. And I finally found a band in England that are idolist. And I have a band here in Florida that's idolist. My band here in Florida is called Rocks Revolt in the Velvets. And we're signing a band in England called Siggy. We had a radio contest in England to find a new idealist. So anyway, we found them. So Clive now has Arista. So what does he do with Arista? He goes looking for one of the records on their label. You know, so he finds the Rollers. Now, when I met the Rollers, now known as the Bay City Rollers, I asked them where they got the name from. And they're looking at me and they tell me this story that they threw darts on the map. So I said to them, I don't remember who it was. It may have been, um, oh, what's his name? Eric. It may have been Eric that told it to me. Mm-hmm. And he threw it and he hit Arkansas first. I knew Arkansas first. I knew, not first, I knew Arkansas because I went to law school at Vanderbilt. I'm like, what did you do with Arkansas? He didn't do anything. He then tells me they threw another dart and they ended up in the Bay City Bay up there. In the... Mm-hmm up there in Michigan. And I'm like, that's really funny because I was in Travis City a few months ago. What were you doing in Travis City? I said, I signed a guy. His name was Roger Harcourt. I signed him to, you know, and anyway, I'm skipping, but I'm telling you. So they changed the name to the Bay City Rollers. And Clive Davis, who needed a hit for his new record label, had them re-record Saturday night. So now we're basically in 1975. It gets released in the United States near the end of 75. And there's roller mania in Scotland. Mm-hmm. They are the biggest things there. And everyone yeah. wants to copy what's the past. So what are they going to copy? Beatlemania. Mm-hmm. And there may be some pundits out there. They may argue with me. You could argue all day. The Beatles' originally songs were... I want to hold your hand. She loves me. You know, love, love me do, right? And now what are you going to do? You know, they were just pop commercial songs. And everyone thought maybe the Bay City Rollers are the next band. You had teenage girls that all they knew is their older sisters were in love with the Beatles. The difference may have been 63 to say 72 and 73 and 70. Anyway, it's 10 years. You know, it's a generation and a half. And everyone wanted... They wanted to be part of whatever the Beatlemania was. So Scotland's absorbed with it. You know, they had a couple of hits in England. In Scotland, the United Kingdom, so I could say it more correctly. And so on Saturday night, you know, Clark was the original singer of Saturday night, but he leaves the band. Eric Faulkner, it's the guy that was playing with the darts, though, so he told me. They bring in Les McEwen. 
And now, all of a sudden, they re-record it. It was produced by two men who I met later in my life called Billy Martin. Not Billy Martin. Billy Martin was the Yankee manager. Bill Martin and Phil yep. Gordon. Yep. They, re- yep. they re-released it. It was on the 1970, you fans, the original version was on the 1974 album called Rolling. In the United yep. States, it was released in 75, which coincides with Clive Davis and Arista. And then the first number one record in the bicentennial year of the United States was Saturday Night. There so are you saying that was, that was Clive Davis's first number one hit? No, but it was first number one record in the United States in 1976, which yeah. is, a, wow. we were 200 years old. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. That was a good, that was a good summer. Yeah, right. I remember so anyway, it fondly. And by the way, the album, I believe, went to number one before Valentine's Day that same year. Wow. You know, and they, what were the hit records they had in the UK? Because here I am, I'm a kid lawyer. I'm a public defender in Tennessee. I decided I'm going to go out there and I'm going to meet everyone around the world. And my father just wants me to sit it with him and to go to go instigate. I'm an instigator, you know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a disruptor. I'll tell you the truth. If you're a Buddhist, get low to this. You know, your Brahmin creates things. Vishnu perpetuates them. But if you perpetuate them too long, you'll all die. To keep you alive, we need new energy. That's Shiva, the disruptor. I'm a Shiva. I like making new energies. I, I love it. And, you know, it's if you go to the schoolofsacredknowledge.com, yes, I'm soliciting, but I'm not. You'll see who I am. I write books and I, I get music done and I get movies done. We're so going to let everyone know who you are. Don't you worry. Anyway, so now <laughs> we are here for your energy. We are here for it. How about, how about these songs? Shangalang? That was their hit song. Could you yeah. imagine... Your love for that Bay City Rolls, if you were 60 years old when you heard that? Right. What's my teenage (laughs) granddaughter doing? You know, and then you got Summer Love. What was that? Summer Love Sensation? Summer Love Sensation, yeah. Yeah. How about All of Me Loves All of You? I hope That's my favorite. That's my (laughs) favorite. (laughs) I hope it does. They had two LPs out. What did they have out? You know. Rolling and Once Upon a Star. All right. There you go. So anyway, now they've got, I think, who were the songwriters? Stephen Wood and Eric Faulkner? They were the majority songwriters. Anyway, I'm giving you just, I'm just basically um, putting herbs on the story I'm about to share with you. Oh, okay. we like it spicy. We like it spicy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if I've got spice. I just got truth. So anyway, okay. so now you got Bay City Rollers. Sid Bernstein decides... I'm going to recreate Sid Bernstein. Okay. Oh. What does he do? He goes into my father and talks my father into helping him get to Scotland so he can sign up the Bay City Rollers and become their North American agent. All right. My father, you know, I was his, uh, I don't know, I was his scout, you know, and I love music. I listen to everything. That's how I started with Peter Gabriel, Real World and Wall Man. Mm-hmm. I mean, Peter Gabriel was someone that he was into it. I was into it. So we created this festival and a record label. We put out music from all over the world. So anyway, what happened was he gets my father to get ready to go represent the Bay City Rollers. Sid Bernstein goes to Scotland. 
talks Cam Payton into hiring him. Next thing you know, Sid Burns, it's now 1975. President of the United States is Gerald Ford, which was about to end. And I mean, in 76, I was a Tennessee delegate for Jimmy Carter. And because they didn't have any Cherokee Indians, I was the Cherokee Indian delegate. Could you imagine? Same wow. Way. And that and that gets relevant in a few minutes because I was in New York City in 76. And I was told I had to go to Toronto to meet the band. So anyway, Sid Bernstein in 75 decides he's going to introduce, and he did this. He's going to introduce the... Uh, and by the way, I feel Sid's energy right now. I actually love the guy. I mean, he took me to Serendipities and he taught me how to drink those drinks. Nice. And so anyway, he talks Howard Cassell into premiering the Bay City Rollers via satellite sometime in September of 1975 as mm-hmm. the next thing to come out of England, by the way. In the United States, we mix it up. They're the United Kingdom. There's three kingdoms, if you're listening. Mm-hmm. There's the Scottish Kingdom, there's the English Kingdom, and there's the Wales Kingdom. And then there's the divided Ireland, where Northern Ireland's part of it, and the other Ireland got separated after World War One. It's always good to understand bits of history. Sure. And so now what they do is Howard Cassell, and this is fascinating. This is 1975. It may have been the first TV satellite broadcast of a rock band playing. And Howard Cosell introduces the band to the world. This is the next band. And Howard, you know, he had a nice mouth and people loved him. So ABC, I believe it was on ABC, one of our three networks, and ABC, NBC, and CBS being the three, he introduces the band to the world. And, you know, something, if you're young, you believe it. So oh, yeah. absolutely. Hey, we believed it. <laughs> so anyway, the show lasts for 20 weeks. And it's cut off because people weren't watching it. But they watched that first Saturday. Maybe it was September 20th. And I don't yeah, know. Yeah, because didn't, didn't they come? They came a week later to be there live. Yeah, in right? October. Mm-hmm. So now you got them there. And, you know, what happened when they got over to the United States, my dad got into the middle of it and renegotiated the contract with Arista, once upon a time known as um, Bell Records, where Clive Davis signed him. I think it was a four-year deal, four more years. And it ended in 78 or 79. Now, what they did is, I believe Tam's the one that did this. They changed their look, where all of a sudden they had calf length skirts. And the Scottish <laughs> call it tartans. And then he... You know, and he put them in scarves. And they were the Tauton band, right? I'm like, whatever. By <laughs> the snorting. It was, <laughs> like, it was fascinating. So here I am. I'm in law school. I'm going to become a big public defender. I'm going to run for the U.S. Senate, which I did do here in New York, no, Florida in 2016. But um, I didn't do it then. And when Alan... Longwin, if I pronounce his name right. Longmuir. You know, he left the band. His brother stayed in. He left the band in 76, and he was replaced by Ian Mitchell. That's who, right. Who I did meet. And I think Ian was underage. What was he, 17 then? 
I think that's about right, 17. Yeah. So what they did is they decided they were going to move to Canada and record a new album in the summer of 76. Now, Dad had to have some presence there. And he said to me, he said to me, Stephen, go to Toronto and meet the band. I go, okay, when? So they flew me in. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a jock. I am. I'm everything. So I went to the Toronto Maple Leafs Garden. And they told me there'll be thousands of girls there and there'll be this there and that there. They had 60, 65,000 people in the uh, big park in the middle of town when the band came in in June. And I'm like ready to go into absolute insanity. And we went to the show and I met Tam and I met the band. And, you know, Tam's everything he was accused of being. I mean, you could read his history. But mm -hmm. Tam did have talent. Tam made, Tam created the image of the band. And Sid, and Sid Bernstein just shut the door to it. It was like, let's go, you know? I got the Beatles and I got the Rolling Stones. Same way, I figured I would see 9,000. No, I figured I'd see 16,000 people. And the place was half empty. And I'm like, what is this? And by the way, from I learned a lot from this because I managed and produced a new edition. And without disparaging them at all, they couldn't sell out to the Maple Leafs Gardens. I'm sitting there figuring something's amiss here. And mm -hmm. then I realized what it was. If I'm getting 15, 16 year old girls to a show and I'm doing it at after hours, after their bedtime hours, their parents aren't gonna go let them go there. So this was one of the lessons I learned when I started managing the new edition. And I started having matinee shows as opposed ah, to after eight mm -hmm, shows. Mm -hmm. And that lesson I learned here, because the thing wasn't sold out. Right. You know, anyway, I'm in Canada and I figured there'd be girls running all around and whatever, you know, I was, whatever I was, I was young. I didn't see any girls at the hotel. And I just saw Tam running around and directing everybody. And I'm like, I don't like this scene. I didn't like it at all. And what I did is I went home the next day and I said to my father, I said, dad, I'm not into it. They may have hit songs, you know, and now I'm older. What they did do is they made girls like you women now understand the beauty of love through song, understand the beauty of energy being thrown at you with promoters telling you that these, this band loves you. They're singing to you. They gave right. you the joys of fairy tales and fairy yes. tales. <laughs> Fairy is a word, F-A-I-R-E, it's French. The Catholic Church put the Y there by getting rid of the I-E. So now you look at a fairy tale, it's a little um, version of Tinkerbell. When the word fairy tale is enchanted, that's what it means in French. And these tales were to enchant you. And singer-songwriters are the best way when you're young to be enchanted. Mm -hmm. oh, be yeah. And what happens is you love them. And you're looking for the energy that you could love besides what you can't touch and you can't feel physically. But you sure can hear it and it touches your heart. Oh, yes. I'm all, I'm I, all about singer-songwriters. That's all I listen to pretty much. Um, I went right from the Bay City Rollers to Steve Forber, Jackson Brown, James Taylor, and it just goes on and on. I, I want the story. I want And who do you listen to tale. right now? 
Right now, I listen to, I, I still listen to Jackson Brown a lot. Um, I'm trying to think who I like now. I like this band called The Record Company. I love Brandy Carlisle. Um, you know, pretty much Americana, Chris Stapleton. I listen to public radio, so we, we, we really get, we really, I'm really spoiled with good music in Philadelphia, so. I mean, Philadelphia is, it's one of the, the key states of the United States. It's a big music town, too. I mean, I could Always literally was. go out every night and see live music. So um, At the same time we had the Bay City Rollers, I used to do all the contracts for Philadelphia International. Oh, all right. All right. Wow, then later that's, that's on, a blast from the past. <laughs> then later on, I managed a band called Sister Sledge. Oh, you know, wow. Philadelphia's music scene alone, I mean, it, there's no... there's. There's no doubt why I'm such a junkie for music because, I mean, just the sound of Philadelphia alone, those artists. I mean, it's in our blood. It's in our water or, the, as they say, water. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's just part of our DNA. You just cannot escape excellent music from Teddy Pendergrass to Patti LaBelle. And it just goes on and on and on and on. It's amazing. On and on and on, which was a Stephen on that's another song. That's there you right. go. <laughs> so let's go back to Toronto again. So they went there to, to record Dedication, which, which was the album that Ian was on. Yep. And there was an event at Nathan Phillips Square where 40,000 fans were there. I mean, there were photos of it. We, we had a celebration of the 40th anniversary of that. So are you saying that when you were there, was that prior to that? Or was that something that was orchestrated by the radio stations and Pam? Okay. The that was in June. By the okay. way, I was in New York and we had the Democratic Convention, so I couldn't be there because I was a delegate at the Democratic Convention. Right, right. And then, you know, we had our big harbor affair and all that. But they stayed there and my dad wanted me there to see what Steve thought. My dad orchestrated the new record deal with Arista. My dad did everything he could to help that band break. He wanted Sid wow. to have a hit. And... Obviously, there's a duality to if Sid has a hit, then you know, Daddy had more um more acts coming in from Sid. True. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, they did everything they could, press wise, PR wise, to make the band happen. But it takes and, a lot more than that. You have to be in the right moment at the right time. And the Bay City Rolls were sitting there in Toronto. They could have had it all, but sometimes shit gets in your way. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, what was what was the what was the stuff that got in their way? Life. Oh. Drugs. And what was the vibe that you weren't vibing with, as the kids say, when when you said that, you know, when you went home and said, "Dad, yeah, I'm not about this." Tam was insane. Oh. You know, Tam. I don't know if I'm good looking or not good looking, but you know, I was being propositioned by him, and I'm like, "Hey, wait a minute." You know, I don't need to go there. You know, and it, it was just, it was insane. You know, and there was drugs around there, and I'm no innocent. I'm no crap. No, but you were uncomfortable enough to go home. They were kids. Yeah. They were, they were as young as my sister, and I'm like, two of them were at least. Ian's, I said, was what, 17? He got sued. Tam got put in jail for it. Oh, wow. He actually got put in jail for it and it, it just was like hey wait a minute but then again you look at the united states and that guy the boys band leader of orlando look what he did 
you know, with his in sync and all that. Oh, and that's right. I forget his name. Yep. Yep. That was a big story, wasn't it? Yeah. It's like, that's right. People are people. But the beauty of music is you don't see the people, you hear the noise. And if a noise comes at you, it's the most powerful element created. Because if you do the right songs, like I Only Want to Be With You, they copied Dusty Springfield, that mm -hmm. was their last hit. That was a brilliant move. Yeah. Brilliant. Because he kept them alive all night. Anyway, the band broke up because it just got crazy and new bands came. Everyone started suing everybody. And what could have been ended up just being that moment in time when I now know two lovely children who were growing up as teenagers who still fantasize about whatever they felt in 1977. And that's beautiful. Look at the two of you. I've spoken to you. Yeah, we, 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 we have fun. You had children. Your children yeah. have children. You're sitting here and you're trying to recreate what was once created. And it's going to happen again, no matter what we do in our country. You can't stop love. Amen. True. You can't stop it. You know, if you don't see God at all, then you don't see God at all. What is God? God is love. Yeah. That's my books. That's everything I write about. And through music, I can touch people as long as I perpetuate music instead of just having computer music. We live in a country right now where your, your machine tells you what to listen to. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? You know, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, you know, Spotify told me I should listen to this or Apple just sent me this. Right. You explore. You need. I mean, when I was kids, I knew the people that own these teen magazines, the Bay City Rollers, because of Sid. And because of the Bay City Rolls being the Bay City Rolls, they were all over Teen Beat or Teen whatever. Tiger oh, Tiger Beat in 16, yeah. Yeah, it's like, and they put the lyrics of the songs there, and I could only imagine. You would sit there and you'd sit, you'd put on your 45, and you would sing the lyrics that were in that magazine. Yeah, it was good. It was innocent, innocent yeah. times. You would put posters up on your wall. Yeah. You know, I ended up doing the movie called Xanadu, which I didn't want to do. But it was Xanadu. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had the Electric Light Orchestra. Yeah, you did. Yeah. And Olivia. Yeah. But I mean, we were managing, we ran the record label, ELO. You know, my father put me in a position where I've had a life which few people could ever have. Right. And I didn't want and, to own any of it. I wanted to live it all. And and it's, just not, that, it's just not like that anymore. It's just, no, I mean, that was groundbreaking. You were all just figuring it out as you were going along and just going with it. It was beautiful, I bet. There was a reason to live. Now, what's your reason yeah. to live? To pay debt? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, shut up and listen. It's okay, gas is $5. Excuse me, how did it get to $5 when the U.S. is self-sufficient? I tell you, you know, that's why I ran for the U.S. Senate, and I realized they're not going to let me in. But you know what they can't stop? They can't stop me putting out music. They can't no, they stop me. That is true. You know, I'm going to L.A. with Debbie. We're getting married in Sedona. And uh, we're going to be in L.A., and I'm handling a guy named Isaac Ryan Brown. 
who's the dancer and top actor in the um, the show, uh, her home, I forgot her name. And on Disney show, right? Okay. And I'm going to put out a nice R&B record. I did Bobby Brown. I did the whole thing. Oh, I yeah. A suit and I made an album where he was singing to you the same way that Bay City Rollins was singing to you. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing Bobby and New Edition at a small club in Philly. And he took a shine to my to my friend at the time. This is before Whitney, you know, way before. And um, she's like, I should go for it. I'm like, I think you should go for it. I'm glad she didn't in hindsight. But, yeah, they were. There was some swooning going on in the Chestnut Cabaret. That's for sure. <laughs> and part of my education was learning where Bay City Rollers went wrong. That's how you learn. Well, did you keep up with like their money situation and their court case with Arista, now Sony? Um, and did you have any opinions on how that was resolved? There are some pretty passionate fans who won't even tolerate the name Clive Davis because they think he personally owes the guy's millions and millions of dollars. Maybe you can explain how that's probably not the case for in layman's terms. Okay, the naked truth. Yeah. Okay, again, I'm bringing you back to Time Machine. Here we are. It's 1977. They sold singles, okay? I don't know if mm -hmm. any of you, your listeners are there, and I don't know how much you're aware of, and none of us are aware because I've been in that position too. I had... I did Donny Osmond's comeback. <laughs> All right. Soldier of love, baby. <laughs> and so I did his comeback. I mean, I promoted, like I had John Wayne. I ain't missing you at all since you've been mm -hmm. gone. Oh, yeah. We sold no albums. And what we did is we gave singles away to everybody. And why did you mm -hmm. give singles away? Because someone would, if I gave you singles and you sold, I'll pick a number. Let's make it easy mathematically. If you sold 10,000 singles and you got 50 cents a single, you just got $5,000. Yeah. And what do I get in exchange for that? I get retail space in your stores. And all this was games where they would give away the records. They didn't care. All they wanted was the record label was more than Bay City Rollers record label. The record label is a record label that had to pay all the people that worked there. So off the quantity, they would get more quantity on distribution. So, you know, there were free goods. There were giveaways. You would pay these disc jockeys so much money to put that record on the radio. And then what would happen was different record labels would up the ante. You need $10,000 to get this on the New York Station radio. What are you doing? Well, we're the only label that could afford it. They played all these gangster games. And, mm -hmm. and your those record contracts, you were able to deduct all these expenses. And then, unfortunately, if they had sold albums, which they didn't do, they would have had zillions. Are they mm -hmm. owed money? Probably. Even if you try to be honest, try to do an honest accounting, you can't do it. You're going to forget stuff. And this was the days before computers. We right. computerly lie to everybody. And mm. the, so under the best of intentions, they're going to make mistakes. Under the worst of intentions, yeah, they probably hid money. They figured these kids will never show up. They're breaking up. We signed these kids to contracts. They all dropped out. No one's going to come asking us for money. The whole thing's crazy. Did they owe Aris the money? I don't know. I'm the other. Did I? 
because I'm sure Arista said they owed him money. Did they, Arista owe him money? Arista being the conglomerate, once you know, from BMG to now Sony, I'm sure they did, and they settled out of court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know it's hard to win because there's so many lawsuits that go on. How are you going to win? Yeah, right. and that's where that's where the money goes anyway to the lawyers. Yeah, right. No offense. No, no offense. I'm not that's a lawyer. <laughs> I became a lawyer. I'm Robin Hood. I'm Peter Pan, and I'm Robin Hood. I believe in love, and I believe in protecting the people from corporate entities. I do. And any artist that knows me will say, you know, at the end of the day, this guy, he really understood. You know, because they sell you a dream. And what's right. dream? Get into debt so we own you, so you have to do what we tell you to do. Any listener, if you have your children on, never live over means that you can't do unless right. you have a fantastic year. I yeah, love baseball. Sure. You're not going to hit 59 home runs every year. You're not. Right. So enjoy what you get when you hit it that one year and just make sure you understand you're going to hit 30 home runs a year. Live on 30 and enjoy the 59. But never, never forget to live in the present. Don't worry about your past. That's your ass. And don't worry about the future because you'll get anxiety. And the future will become today. And when today is in your mind, you're living in the gift of life. It's called the present. That's the best advice I could give. And, Beautiful. And it's true, right? Yeah, it absolutely is. All right. So I, ha I have one final question. Um, so, you know, what do you make of, of us as a community 50 years later? Are you surprised that we're still here? And, and what do you kind of think about that now that you've talked to us for, for a little bit? I love it. Well, you helped create it. <laughs> no, but I love it. Because you know what you taught me? You taught me what America doesn't teach its people. Your family. That's right. That's Our true. Has forgotten family. I can't be more direct than that. We sit here in a society that breaks up your family. We sit here in a society that doesn't teach kids anymore how to sing and dance or play ball at school. It's become an extra activity. We sit in a community that teaches you nothing, nothing. It's so politically correct, you can't even write a textbook to show it to people. What you're doing is you're showing people something. You're passing on a tradition that you had. If I could undress your tradition, the tradition you're giving to people is when we were young, like you are now, we loved song and dance. And song and dance became our community. And this is how we communicated with people. We would share the sacred meaning of these lyrics that we're listening to. We would sit and hug each other. We'd go to shows and we would make these human beings that are no different than anyone we can meet on the street, who for that single moment in time had the ability to transcend and make me forget everything other than the present. Mm -hmm. And those moments I shared with them in that gift, in that special moment, I will try to force on all of you. And yes, I'm pushing you on the Bay City Rollers, but you may have your singer-songwriters right now. Mm -hmm. And through song and dance, I can transcend. You know, it's like when you study the Bible and everyone makes fun of the Bible, but everyone believes it. What is David and Solomon known for? Their songs. Yeah. Songs you know, I worked with Lenny Cohn, and he has that song, Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Basically, he's talking about how he made love with someone. 
but because we're so looking for that spiritual connection, we marry it to David. We marry it to the biblical era. I honor you. I honor the fact that you're still looking and you're trying to share love. And ladies, mm -hmm. never stop. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. That's a good place to end, I think, Stephen. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Wow, um, that was something, wasn't it, Laura? It, it sure was. He uh, he warned us he was going to go on tangents, didn't he? He did, and that was is that a new, that's a new word, tangenty, tangenty. That was very <laughs> yes. tangenty. Wow, but it was I good though. It was oh, good. Yeah. I think that there's a whole lot more, a whole lot more that we really haven't covered. Um, but I don't know how. Well, we might have to call him again sometime because I, you I, know, I, had, I was just I thinking think that I had more questions. I'm sorry. I, I was just thinking that that there is the potential for maybe another podcast because, yeah, there are more questions. Exactly. Way more questions. So maybe we'll have to um, have a revisit with him. But that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? It really was. It was one of, definitely one of our more different interviews, but really interesting at the same time. And, and not to bring politics into it, but how can I not? Because he, 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 he's a politician, obviously. Um, I can't help but wonder. <laughs> I can't help but wonder. What if? <laughs> what if? But hey, you know, it's always there's always the next election cycle. So um we'll, we'll see where we go. But you know, he has he's written a lot of books. Yes. Um, his his website is Stephen Machant, M-A-C-H-A-N-T dot com. Very interesting, very spiritual as you as you gathered, lots of energy, very interesting man. So we encourage all of you to all of you to um check him out. Absolutely. Okay, so I guess we'll um we'll end there and we'll wish our friends goodwill. And, you know, we're going to tell them to keep on rolling, right? Yes, we are. Keep on rolling, guys. Keep on rolling. All right. Until next time. Bye. Bye.